Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Technology Forward. I'm Leslie Langnall, your host. Like so many other markets and industries, the COVID pandemic has affected the supply of components used to make semiconductor processing equipment and brought this supply chain to a halt. Semiconductor capital equipment manufacturers are turning to additive manufacturing to address this need. I'm here today with Scott Green, Principal Solutions Leader for Semiconductors at 3D Systems. So thank you for joining me here today, Scott. Hi, thanks, Leslie. So let's first of all, let's start out with what are the challenges in semiconductor production? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so there's, you can break down the challenges in semiconductor production into a couple different categories right now. And here we're, again, as you mentioned, in the late stages of COVID, and it's a little complex when you talk about challenges. That the number one that is affected by COVID is global production capacity. So generally, that's a supply chain issue where you've got uh, trade disruptions by prior administrations, Trump administration, as well as the disruptions in working styles all over the planet due to health restrictions. And so because of that kind of complex formula, you've got a global production capacity disruption. And then to add on top of that, you know, in order to kickstart even more rapid manufacturing based on the new Biden administration policies and investigation, um, if that ends up requiring foundries, uh, you know, semiconductor foundries to buy new equipment, then that's actually a supply and demand issue with capital equipment itself, which is very complex and very expensive and, and so specialized. So it's not like I can just go cut down a bunch of trees and build a house, you know, it, it, that, that, that kind of time to acquisition of fabrication equipment is, is not the same as building a house. It's, it's, it's a much more complex thing. Mm -hmm. So even if, even if we decided today, if I was my own foundry and I decided I needed to add a manufacturing line, I'd have a lot of work ahead of me in order to get it in place in order to start pumping new, new silicon into the, the supply chain, which ends up making it into devices that we all use today. So that's, that's one of the challenges we have. Again, it's production capacity, supply demand issue. It's going to take a little bit of time to overcome that. And some of that will be alleviated after uh, COVID restrictions uh, subside. But then again, we still have a supply and demand issue where there is increasingly demand for smart devices, smart automobiles, and as new industries tap into the need for semiconductors, with the capital equipment manufacturing uh, companies are going to have to catch up to that. And a lot of money is going to be involved, and that means a lot of great opportunity for people who are involved. The other issue we have is, is really technology-related. You know, one, one way kind of additive manufacturing comes into this is that it helps improve generally the technology that is, is developed and brought to market for those systems. And so assuming that a foundry is really already running equipment, and they're running it at as max capacity as they possibly can, you know, they, they can't really decide they're going to do something different with that equipment or go to a new process, dramatically different process. So dramatic changes are not really possible with existing capital equipment for processing silicon wafers or, or lithography, for example. So, um, you know, since we're already pushing the boundaries of lithography equipment and what's possible with physics, the, one of the technology-related uh, barriers for semiconductor production is going to be how do we get the latest generation of fabrication equipment into the hands of those foundries so that they can satisfy the requirements of their customers. And, and really, long story short, what that means is we need more equipment that's more capable in the market to satisfy the needs of these manufacturers so you can have more transistors in the same space or occupying 
uh, the same space, but taking lower power. And all these are requirements that are emerging from consumer electronic companies, as well as automotive companies. And the uh, capital equipment manufacturers are going to have to respond to that. that again, that'll mean uh, you know, making use of existing equipment, but likely it's going to mean uh, new lines being installed to, to satisfy those requirements. Can you give me an example of how additive can improve some of these processes? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. What's really, uh, again, if we take lithography for an example, there's over 100,000 components that go into some of these lithography machines. That's a lot of parts. And when you consider the fact that those, every single one of those has to be built in relatively small quantities, we're not talking about a million injection molded parts here. We're talking about maybe a couple thousand specialized parts, you know, from, from a production run. And then you multiply that by, you know, a hundred thousand possible parts inside of a machine. What we end up seeing is it's a complex system with a big supply chain that's relatively low volume when it orders from its suppliers. You know, you, you have design compromises pretty much all over the place inside of a lithography machine to help make sure that that process that's relatively massive and complex uh, becomes easier. Now, the big benefit that additive is, is offering here in many cases is, is allowing those systems to work much closer to their theoretical expected working environments, as opposed to making a bunch of compromises in the operation of a machine because of how you have to manufacture things. So you'll see benefits such as end result benefits of, again, a lithography system, for example, you get better, uh, greater precision in the total system capability. Um, you can get faster cycle times, which means, again, more wafers can be produced per machine per week. Um, you're also going to see uh, better quality of imaging, again, across, a, across an entire wafer. So that's going to mean less waste and higher quality product across the entire wafer. So what does that mean when you boil it down? It means that if you're a foundry uh, and you're making uh, semiconductor product, uh, you're going to end up long-term, if you're having machines that are, are integrating additive manufacturing, you're going to have better results at a higher quality, and you should be able to produce more faster. And that really comes from these applications of additive manufacturing, which allow you to optimize the strength to weight ratio. So if I have a part that big, because it's got to be strong, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be strong. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be big, but it's got to be strong. So if I have a big armature or an assembly, additive manufacturing allows you to make use of uh, design flexibility to optimize that component. So it only takes up the minimum amount of space needed. So in order to perform its function, it only needs to be exactly this big. And that's, that's actually huge. And it's boiling down a very simple, a very complex concept into something simple. Uh, and that's called topology optimization or structural optimization, which can help you take something relatively massive and make it very lightweight. And you know, the, one of the benefits there is it can be very hard to manufacture something that's been lightweighted. It can look very organic and funky looking. It mm -hmm. can have lattice structures inside. That's hard to manufacture with traditional manufacturing, but for additive, piece of cake, super easy for direct metal printing. And so I'll continue on just a couple more applications here. A couple hundred kilometers of wire and fluid manifold or fluid lines inside of a lithography machine. What we can do and provide with additive manufacturing is um, much better conformal or interior cooling structures or improved fluid manifold dynamics. So, you know, what in layman's terms, what that means really is when you have a bunch of hoses and tubes that come together uh, and you need to connect them to each other in some way, oftentimes you end up producing a part 
through traditional manufacturing that is easy to make. Okay, and but when you compromise manufacturing simplicity or you compromise function for manufacturing simplicity, what you end up doing is you compromise the whole total system function to some degree. So what additive manufacturing can really allow you to do is build a fluid manifold or, or a cooling structure that is prioritizing function over manufacturing capability. And that what you'll end up getting is smooth channels or channels that don't take right angle bends that could cause fluid disturbance. Uh, you'll, you know, inside of a wafer table, for instance, you could just, you could design any cooling structure inside of a, a wafer table that you can imagine. And, you know, typically these things are going to be driven from, you know, numerical simulation. To put a cap on, on all these things, what I'd say is design flexibility is something that you get with additive manufacturing. But the input that allows you to have design flexibility is going to end up being what we would call generative design or the, the, the combination of form and function together that allow you to end up saying, okay, am, am I making a part that is going to physically work exactly how I need it to, as opposed to starting with a shape and saying, you know, it, it's got to kind of look like this and, you know, it, because you have to manufacture it this way. So you, you don't have to worry about those kinds of limitations you have with, you know, traditional machining or injection molding or casting. Why is this happening now? Why haven't semiconductor manufacturers taken advantage of additive earlier since it delivers so many benefits like this? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question with, unfortunately, a relatively complex, complex answer. And other kind of discussions I've had with people, some people wonder, why haven't we heard about this? You know, if, if they're already doing it, why haven't we heard about this? So I guess my first answer would be is, it's already happening. You may not know, but it's already happening. And why we haven't heard about it is because it's just not as sexy as uh, airplanes and automobiles and missiles and stuff like that. You know, and, and everyone it's also has a competitive competitors yeah. don't want anybody else to know. <laughs> exactly. You know, you've only got four huge mega corporations that make the major chunk of lithography or, or fabrication machines. They ain't telling anybody anything. They want to make sure they, they keep that, that competitive advantage. You know, that's why big companies have that, that advantage. And it's also highly specialized. Again, everybody's got a car. Everybody flies in an airplane. Did you know that you likely flew on an airplane with additively manufactured jet engine parts in it probably for the last 10 or 15 years? That's been happening for a long time. Yeah. That stuff is sexy and relatable. Now, again, to, to circle back on Semicon, it's been happening for a while and it's been happening in small pockets. And I think what we're trying to do is help uh, connect emerging demand or emerging demand with the solutions that, you know, that, that we understand uh, for the market. So really what I'll end up saying is we're, we're running into physical barriers. We're always running into physical barriers in the semiconductor industry. And, and you know, getting down to 14 nanometer process was a big hurdle in general. You know, from what I remember in past history, and it's going to get even harder. You know, I, I don't see us going below a nanometer ever. You know, some some major step change is going to have to happen in the entire system of producing you know product, and we're not there yet. But what additive manufacturing is really doing, and it's really good timing actually for for all these kind of things together is, you know, direct metal printing is very mature. It's precise. The materials are there coming down in cost and it's becoming relatable due to other things like you know, uh, us working with like large hadron colliders or advanced 
light source projects and even automotive and aerospace, people start to understand that it's real. And when you combine that with the materials, the service or the, the you know, parts printing as an option instead of buying machines, it starts to get really connectable and relatable. And then the industry focus on moving to, the CAD industry focus on moving to design for additive manufacturing is another thing that's been a big limiter too uh, for the whole industry in general. So, you know, if you're a CAD modeler or you're a mechanical engineer, you come out of school learning about mechanical engineering in a very specific way. And there's been a re-education process going on for the past, I'd say probably five to seven years, but picking up in the last year or two on how to design for additive manufacturing. And so, you know, it's, again, it's one of those complex answers where if you know how to do it, you, you get it. You got the vision, you can see it, you know how to make use of it. And if you know where to get the right parts, then you can make sure you optimize your system to have that competitive advantage. And that's what's needed right now in the semiconductor industry is, is um, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link inside of a complex system. And when you take something that has a, t a ton of error tolerance budget built up and you start removing all the different thermal gradients, you start removing all the fluid turbulences, you start to get a system that functions, you know, again, I'm referencing lithography here, that functions more like the theoretical values. And, and that's going to help us squeak out productivity in the current framework or paradigm of production for maybe another 15 or 30 years. And in a relatively short period of time, you'll start uh, seeing those effects, major, relatively major effects in end products that we buy, consumer products in just a few years. Now, can you give me an estimate as to how much of the semiconductor industry is creating new equipment using additive manufacturing? Um, so I'd say without giving away too much information, I'd say, again, there's a, only a couple major lithography manufacturers out there. And the latest lines of lithography equipment across all manufacturers and casting a wide net here already includes additively manufactured parts. And, you know, I represent 3D systems and semiconductors. So I know for a fact, you know, we're directly contributing and producing uh, parts and creating new supply chain pathways for those manufacturers. So uh, even devices that we use today were created uh, with semiconductor technology that, that uses additively manufactured parts. If it's as simple as a wafer table or a fluid manifold, like that's starting small. But the latest, the latest generations that are shipping today of equipment is starting to be, you know, when you get this pie chart of additively manufactured to non-additively manufactured parts, that additively manufactured part pie is, pieces is getting bigger fast. So I think, you know, that's going to start to enable as the industry catches on big changes in process, productivity, and performance. Now, I'm looking at this image of what looks like a wafer table mm -hmm. that is showing me the inside. What exactly am I seeing here? How is this used yeah, in the good question. process? Yeah, so inside lithography, for instance, um, you have a, a wafer that's on a, on a plate, for lack of a way of putting it. But it's like a big drink coaster, basically, to put it in simple terms. <laughs> and its function is to make sure that it keeps that wafer at a stable temperature within a stable Bands, you know, very like millikelvin, a couple, couple millikelvin, and you know, it, let's say I, you know, I, I bring my put my cup of coffee on that drink coaster. That drink coaster is at room temperature. If I give it twenty minutes, heat is shared through the bottom of my coffee cup into the drink coaster. The drink coaster gets to a temp temperature. Now, eventually, it's going to get to an equilibrium where it's no longer sharing heat 
and then it's now diffusing heat into the environment of your room. And over a long period of time, it's going to trend towards room temperature for a long time. Now, the same concept applies to you know wafer conditioning or you know keeping a wafer at temperature is uh, part of the limitations and actually how much product you can produce is is actually for lack of a better way of putting it just waiting. You know you got to wait for stuff to stabilize. All types of stuff's got to wait to stabilize. So in this case. When you, when you get a wafer up to stabilization temperature, the time you wait to get to stabilization temperature is lost productivity. If you, if you can get to stable temperature faster, you can pump out more wafers a week, incrementally more wafers a week because you're improving cycle time. And now there's, there's a functional production improvement there, but then there's also a quality improvement that's inherent to having thermally stable wafer. Because if you imagine, you know, on a microscopic scale, when temperature is fluctuating, something, a flat piece of paper or wafer is actually kind of moving in space. You can't see with your eyeball, but it's actually moving. Now, when you, can't, when you keep something at a very controlled temperature with low thermal gradients, you can predict, you know that it's probably extremely flat. Again, it's functioning close to theoretical value. And when something's functioning close to theoretical value, then everything else kind of falls into place. You know that when you project light onto it, you're projecting it onto a flat surface. And you know when you're projecting onto a flat surface, you're getting the best possible image projection, which means you'll get better possible results. So, you know, conditioning plates and cooling tables are, are something that are very, I can say like bread and butter for direct metal printing. It's a single part produced that's traditionally brazed. So machined parts that are brazed together or assembled out of four or five, six parts. But a real advantage that additive manufacturing you know, provides here is that, that design was inspired by uh, artificial intelligence uh, suggestion of what the, what the proper cooling channel should be to serve the function. Again, we're, we're, we're designing for function first, which is a lot, it's really cool and freeing for mechanical engineers. The cool thing is, is with, with additive manufacturing, if I, I can try it, I can print it, I can take it off the platform, I can you know, bandsaw it or EDM it off the platform and test it in a benchtop setup. If it's not as good as I thought it'd be, I can make a change and try it again. That's a really small mean time between iterations when you're doing design engineering. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I was to go through the traditional supply chain, that part made it, might've taken me a month or two to get because it had to go through an ordering system. Somebody had to machine it. Somebody had to assemble it. Somebody probably tested it, did QA. Then they put it in the mail and shipped it to you. And finally you got it. Then you could test it. But with additive manufacturing, you cut out all that stuff. You're able to, for this specific part, iterate quickly on new design concepts, which will allow you know, our customers and designers in general to get to that ideal functional benefit of additive manufacturing much faster. If you were to machine that, you know, it's a relatively long, long machining operation, and then you've got to oh, assemble yeah. it. Yeah. And then you're limited by, you're limited by um, you know, your ability to iterate is, is limited by some time and overhead and reprogramming and things like that. Uh, an NC toolpath. So I think what's what's actually really interesting is again you can um, you can design or you can even try out a bunch of different channels in one piece to see which one you like better in a benchtop setup. Um, so the flexibility you get is, is is quite nice. But this is a really simple example, actually, even though it's very impressive. Simple example. Conformal cool, cooling channels can actually surround a shroud around a light source, for instance. You can have a spiral channel inside of a thin shroud if you want mm -hmm. to keep it as a cooling jacket. Um, you know, there, there's a sky's the limit when it comes to manufacturing with additive, but there's not infinite advantage. Of course, you've got limitations. They're just different than other tools and it opens up new realms of possibility. 
Now I'm familiar in the use of manifolds in various types of industries. And this image that I have before me, is that used in, in a semiconductor piece of equipment? Uh, so again, as you, you hit on an earlier point of, uh, about secrecy, uh, we have <laughs> a, a huge depth of, of knowledge and experience in the semiconductor industry. And of course we can barely talk about a lot of it. So <laughs> what they can do is say, you know, somebody internally designed that and they had no knowledge of where the part came from. You know, I just drew a couple of pictures and said, I needed to do this, 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 and this, and that. You know? and so this is a, inspired by actual application for a semiconductor part. It's close. There's no IP restrictions there, but it's similar, but uh, safely shareable as an interesting you know, hero image, which demonstrates something very close to a real uh, fluid manifold application uh, for semiconductor. So how much of the semiconductor industry is turning towards additive manufacturing? to help create the equipment that they need? So that's a really interesting question. You could actually cast a really wide net of categories here to, to describe you know, how much of the semiconductor industry is using it. I'd say generally you could break it up into a couple of pieces. You've got major capital equipment manufacturers and their suppliers. And those suppliers are either supplying individual components or subsystems. And a subsystem provider, for instance, they might just make lasers, like lots of different types of lasers, and they ship a box that you know, gets plugged in. So that, that's kind of like a one collection of people. Um, but then you also have kind of a high-end industrial electronics, which are like, you know, it's a little bit more down the value chain. It's not directly related to wafer fabrication. But you've got examples of, for instance, cooling plates or thermocouples or you know, heat exchangers that are in industrial electronics um, that make use of the same types of concepts or it could be closely related, you know, for um, a light source, for instance, or a thermal management solution that could be out of the box for another company a supplier and, and that, that's easily plugged into a major equipment manufacturer. So on the whole, I'd say um, it, it's less, it's, right now we don't see a ton, tons of opportunity at the foundries themselves that are existing that have machines because you know, unless machines are changing hands and new machines are going in or out, you're not going to go retrofit something. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but we're more seeing a lot of great opportunity where there's that new product being shipped, new manufacturing lines are being created. And so we're seeing just kind of a, a large, really exciting future ahead of us uh, uh, to work together with the semiconductor industry and, and uh, so many cool applications. So now has this uh, affected the supply chain? Do you see the supply chain easing up? since the pandemic or is that still yet to come? Uh, that's a really good question. And you know, I'm, not, I'm not a global economist from that, from that perspective, but I think the, the one thing I could say is, you know, again, as working limitations change, then the foundries are gonna be able to run it at a faster clip and, and they're gonna be able to produce more product. Um, so that's one thing that, that's really gonna help. But really the, the technical advancements that come in the, the newest machines, like. Um, Newer, newer processes that are being shipped by the biggest uh, manufacturers. That's really where we're going to see unlocking and speed and potential. Um, you know, it's short, short of actually just buying new equipment and installing new production lines. Yeah, that, that's the other thing that's going to help. It's going to be interesting to see some of the new products that come out from all of the ways we're able to use additive to tweak the design process yeah. and make it better. Yeah, I'd expect we'll see the continued trend of having more powerful, lighter weight, and uh, lower power consumptive end products. So again, to, to, to say that a different way, 
I would expect that we would end up seeing on the market devices that consume less power and are more intelligent and you know really interesting consumer electronics, for example, or uh, more powerful automotive uh, products. Or both. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty. Well, those are the questions that I had, Scott. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. It was, it was a great time and I'm happy to come back anytime.